speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 43 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to look at episodes 3 and 4 of season 3 of The Adventures of Superman. First, we're going to see Superman take on superstition and some unlucky or lucky accidents in The Lucky Cat. And then, the Daily Planet is going to honor Superman for all the good that he's done in Superman Week. But, before we get to that, I've got some feedback that I'd like to get to from Gene Hendricks. Gene does the Hammer Strikes blog and also is the host of the Hammer podcast on the Two True Freaks Network. And Gene has been catching up on the show. He writes... Mike, I wanted to drop you a line and let you know how much I'm enjoying the Man of Screen podcast. I'm only on episode 7, but your insights are great, especially regarding what happens at a real-world newspaper. And he finished it off with a little uh, smiley face. So, I would like to send Gene a thank you for that feedback. It's always good to uh, good to hear back from the audience, especially one that's so far behind. I'm betting by the time... This is episode 43, and I'm betting by the time Gene catches up, he'll forget that he sent me this message over Facebook. But... Anyway, I would like to thank Gene for sending that to me. He will receive my thanks when he gets to this episode down the line. With that being said, I'm going to take a quick break, play our promo, and then I'm going to come back with The Lucky Cat. Hang around, folks. Star Trek. Comic books. Mythology. Video games. Toys, Star Wars, just about any geeky topic you can think of could be covered on the Hammer Podcast, presented by Two True Freaks. Come join me, Gene Hendricks, for whatever my disjointed mental processes can come up with, and be careful, or you might just learn something before we're done. The Hammer Podcast is available monthly, both on its own iTunes feed and at twotruefreaks.com. Alright, welcome back folks. We're going to head right into The Lucky Cat. Original broadcast date was May 7th, 1955. Writer was Jackson Gillis. Director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast was Harry Tyler as Mr. Botts, Carl Harbord as Mr. Fredericks, Ted Stanhope as Charlie King, Charles Watts as Bill Green, and John Phillips as the Plain Coast Police Officer. And now for our synopsis brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Our story takes us to 720 Weeping Willow Lane in Metropolis. Stop! We're walking on the lines instead of the squares. That's bad luck. I told you, stop. You can't come in here. This is my house. It's a nice, peaceful old place. It's never even been haunted until you people came with your broken mirrors and your black cats sprinkling salt all over the place. Keep away, I tell you. It was the darkest day of my life when I rented the house to you. Now I'll suffer hard luck the rest of my years. Now, just a minute, sir. We haven't even been here before. You haven't? Maybe we've got the wrong address. I hope. No, Jimmy, it's the right place. 720 Weeping Willow Lane. Your new members? Well, let me warn you while there's still time. The men who come here are crazy. They defy the laws of nature. They laugh at the beliefs of man. They're doomed. Here, what's going on? Mr. Potts, I thought you told us to stay away from here. You can't keep me away. This is my property. Now, 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 we pay our rent, don't we? Well, run along, run along. You can't make me. Oh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Laws of trespass, you know. <clears throat> New members. Pay no attention to him. Follow me. Follow me. You'll be sorry. This is my house. And mark me. 
They'll all be sorry, every last one of them who come here. You too, both of you. This is Friday the 13th, and anyone who defies the 13th will live to regret it, or die to regret it. What a crazy place. <laughs> well, we came here to get a story, didn't we? Let's go. After a black cat crosses their path, Clark and a somewhat apprehensive Jimmy have been greeted by Bill Green. You're a little early for the meeting yet, but welcome to the sacred halls of the Anti-Superstition Club. Their motto is down with superstition. They help expose how silly such fears actually are. It's quite an idea, isn't it, Jim? Oh, yes. But uh, doesn't that letter ever fall on anybody? Oh, no. <laughs> a bunch of the fellows were tired of the luncheon clubs, so we organized a midnight snack club. Just a good bunch of guys getting together to have a little fun. Oh, uh, we encountered a gentleman on the way in who didn't quite share your enthusiasm. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, the landlord, I suppose. He said he owned the place. Poor old coot. His name's Botts. We rented this place from him so we could hold our meetings here. Uh, I guess he didn't realize what we wanted it for. Well, he's making some threats, Mr. Green. I think he might try to get even with you. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. What can he do? We're all important businessmen, every one of us. Here, take a look at this register. It's just that he's superstitious, that's all. Half cracked on the idea, like so many people. Hates to see us break all these silly little rules. <laughs> He and many other prominent Metropolis businessmen, including Charlie King, founder of King Chemical Company, formed the Anti-Superstition Society to prove that there is no foundation to many of the things that supposedly create good or bad luck. The meeting will now come to order. Seven years bad luck? <laughs> Nonsense. And now I hop to my place at the head of the table in there. Hop? Why, of course, 13 times. Not easy for a man of my size. I land on the lines on the floor, the cracks. Watch me, it's like this. Golly, Mr. Ken, maybe that guy outside was right. These men sure act crazy. Well, Jimmy, there's a certain amount of nonsense connected with any larger club, isn't it? What's the matter? Mr. Green, wait! The support under that floor isn't very strong. Well, if that were true, how could you see it from there? X-ray vision, I suppose. Well, uh, as a matter of fact... Oh, he's just superstitious. He's upset seeing us break so many superstitious rules. They don't deserve to be here. Go on, show them. Show them we're not afraid, Bill. You have to be really tough to be a member of this club. You stay here by the door, Jimmy. Clark runs to become Superman to fix the broken beam in the basement. The Man of Steel places a plank of wood on the broken area. Where were you? Oh, say, uh, Kent, how on earth did you know that floor was going to break through there? Well, just a lucky guess. Don't use that word. Nothing's lucky or unlucky. And besides, you were walking on the lines instead of squares. Well, even if I'd fallen clear through, it wouldn't be because I'd broken any superstition. It's uh, termites, probably. Yeah. Too much food, you mean. I don't blame the poor frog. <laughs> well, uh, no harm done, anyway. Well, gentlemen, I think we've gotten our story now. We'll be running along. Good night. Oh, uh, drop back any time, Mr. Kent, and why don't you let us put you up for membership? You're not superstitious. No, I only believe in the things that men do. Good night, gentlemen. Jimmy? Hi, Mr. Kent. Hello. Good night. Well, what's that? Sawdust, Jimmy. Huh? The stuff that's made when somebody saws wood, and I don't mean termites. Now, somebody wanted that floor to collapse under Mr. Green. As Clark goes to investigate the house rented by the Anti-Superstition Society and report his findings to Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson, Lois Lane and Jimmy intend to investigate the place further. Meanwhile, a mysterious person has crossed out Bill Green's name from the club's registry book. The police will check into the situation, in spite of Henderson's belief that there is no ill will involved. Your guess was right, Kent. The crime lab sent a man out to look over that basement. He said that support beam was sawed just recently. Mm-hmm. Looks like somebody wanted Green to fall through, doesn't it? Looks that way. But even if he had, he probably wouldn't have been hurt very badly. I'd call it more of a crackpot stunt than a murder attempt, wouldn't you? Yes, but when a crackpot starts off this way, he can get more and more dangerous. And if he wanted to punish Green for laughing at superstition, all the rest of the members of the club are in danger too. And they should be warned. Well, we'll take care of it. I'll get the membership list from their register. And I think I'll pick up that nutty landlord of theirs for questioning. A match has been lit and placed in a full garbage can in the King Chemical Company, as Henderson warns Charlie King of a possible threat to him. As Henderson warns Charlie King of a possible threat to him and the other members of the Anti-Superstition Society. Clark's sensitive ears pick up the sound of the fire during King and Henderson's telephone call. Superman flies at top speed to aid King, 
puts out the flames of the steam pipe on the wall before they can reach any dangerous substances. Someone obviously wishes to eliminate everyone involved with the Anti-Superstition Society. Lois and Jimmy are looking around the house used by this society. So far, they only find the black cat that serves as the club's mascot. The cat scratches Lois and runs in another direction. The two reporters hear footsteps after they enter the basement. Jimmy hides to surprise the approaching person, only to find that it is Clark Kent. Hi, Jimmy. Oh, Clark, what a relief. We heard you before when we were upstairs in that bedroom. We're locked in. I guess it wasn't you after all, was it? No, Lois, I just got here. I came in the front door. Clark, what are you looking at? Mm -hmm. well, I'm just surprised at who I see. I mean, I'm surprised to find you here. Surprised? Well, do something. Now, don't worry. We'll get out all right. Hurry, the window. Come on. Oh, the shutter. Now we are trapped. But you just stand there. I told you not to worry, Lois. Oh, sure. That door's a foot thick and so are the walls. I'm afraid there's nothing much we can do this way. Are you all right, Jimmy? Yes, I'm all right. Well... Does Superman know we're here? Yes, he does, Lois, but I'm afraid he can't come out in the open and help us now. Well, why not? He's just as much against the silly superstitions as we are. What on earth? <laughs> a horseshoe? I don't know how that happened to get on the floor. Look in his other pocket. He's got a rabbit's foot and a four-leaf clover. Oh, no, Jimmy. You carrying good luck charms? I'm sorry. I don't really believe in the things. Say, I'll bet if Superman were here, he'd rub this horseshoe and make a magnet out of it and help us get out of here. Superman would knock a hole through the wall, silly. Come on, we'll find a way out. The trouble is, too many people might see him knocking that hole. Taking Jimmy's lucky horseshoe, Clark rubs it with both hands to magnetize it. This helps to find the metal in the door's bolt to unlock it. Clark loathes Jimmy are free, but someone, as Clark sees with his powerful eyes, has put poison on the anti-black cat's claws. Should she, should she scratch any member of the Anti-Superstition Society, they will most certainly perish. Inspector Henderson has promised Clark to wait to enter the clubhouse. Meanwhile, policemen have Mr. Bot surrounded in one of the other houses he owns. Superman must now race to save the agitated landlord, for only the Man of Steel knows that he may not be responsible for all the crimes. Mr. Botts, you're under arrest. For the last time, Mr. Botts, come out. Give yourself up. I will not. You're walking on my lawn. I own this house. I own lots of houses. But you can't come in any of them. Nobody can. I'm never going to rent a house again as long as I live. Nothing but trouble. You're under arrest, I said. I guess we're going to have to break the door in. Don't you dare. This is private property. You're trespassing. All of you. I've never been arrested in my life. And I don't intend to start now. You asked for it. You better give him the tear gas. Hold your breath for a second. I'll inhale the gas. There, all out the window, Mr. Botts. Superman! And don't worry, Mr. Botts, you're not going to jail. In fact, you're not guilty of anything. But there's another man who's been trying to make it look as though you were to blame for everything. Who? Who is it? The same man that's going to be confessing in about five minutes. Will you excuse me? A plainclothes officer, Messrs. King, Green, and Fredericks are in the Anti-Superstition Society's meeting room, with Jimmy and Lois waiting for Inspector Henderson and Clark Kent to arrive. Mr. Kent, what's this all about? We're supposed to be holding a meeting of our club now. You know what it's all about. A murder attempt on Mr. Green and then on Mr. King at his factory. No! Oh, uh, Inspector, uh, we're not upset by this, so uh, why should you be? Old Botts hates us, and he tried to make us think the superstitions we'd broken were backfiring against us. That's all. Sure. Three on a match, and stepping on squares instead of on lines, and... <laughs> yes, uh, he should be taken away somewhere for a long, quiet rest. He didn't saw the floor or set that fire, gentlemen. But one of you did, and took advantage of poor Botts' ravings in order to make it look as though he were responsible. I don't understand. Hey, nothing happened to him yet. Now, take it easy, Jimmy. Uh, go over there and sit down, will you? Gentlemen, will you please sit down, take your places? Uh, by the way, Mr. Fredericks, in your part as uh, 
steward in this ritual. What happens after the mirror is broken? Well, I follow the black cat in and uh, I sit here holding it. And blast her long claws. Look at my scratches. Mm -hmm. Well, gentlemen, I'm going to try and be very quick about this because, you see, I already know which one is the guilty man. What? Come on, puss. Come on. That's a girl. Be careful she doesn't scratch you. Don't worry. Kent, what's the matter with you? You say that one of us is guilty of these crazy crimes, and you, you go off chasing a cat. Well, they're not crazy crimes, Mr. Green. They just seem that way. And now, I'm gonna let your cat pick out the guilty man. Oh, I ain't afraid of black cats, even mean ones like that. Oh, yes, Mr. Fredericks. This cat might have scratched you any time this evening. But I have another job for her right now, and I think it'll be easy. You see, when our man wasn't looking, I slipped some catnip in his pocket. Don't any of you look in your pockets, please. We'll let the cat do the work. Well, of all this silly, nonsensical tricks. Never mind, Mr. Green. Just watch. She never did like me. This is ridiculous. Perhaps it is, Mr. King. Perhaps it is. Still, I know you're not superstitious. And while she may be a little unpleasant still, there's no reason for you to be afraid of her. I'm not. You weren't afraid to set fire to your own factory. No crazy. I'm getting out of here. Why did you do it? The insurance? I didn't do anything. You can't scare me. She seems to like you. Why are you so afraid of her? Here. <laughs> he put poison on her claws. You shouldn't have jumped so far, Mr. King. I wiped it off a long time ago. All right. Yes, I did everything. I was desperate. I was broke. I had no orders at the factory. My whole life was ruined. I had to do something to cover up. I had to burn that factory. If Superman hadn't come along and stopped that fire, I'd have collected a million dollars in insurance. I guess we can get the rest of this down at headquarters. Thanks for the confession, Kent. The rest of you mind coming along for a statement? You? How did you know I was the one? Well, maybe I'm lucky or maybe I'm Superman. <laughs> Big joke. You better knock on wood when you say things like that. Come along. All of you. All right. Now, this episode wasn't on any of the Superman festivals that I recorded off Channel 9 or any of the TV's Best Adventures of Superman volumes that I owned, or that my father owned, more specifically, but... But this was one of two episodes that I randomly recorded off TV for some reason. The other one is the companion episode, Superman Week, which we'll talk about in the next segment. So, I think a lot of my enjoyment from this episode comes from nostalgia and the fact that I've been watching this episode since I was a kid. If I'm looking at the DVD sleeve and I see this episode, I'll go, No, yeah, that's one I remember from way back when. So it always gets me right there in the, uh, in the nostalgia bone, so to speak. This episode starts with an old man talking to the camera, you know, about how the two people are walking on the lines instead of the square, so that's bad luck. But he is showing that he is clearly superstitious and he believes in things like bad luck and good luck and that the things you do will influence the kind of luck you have. Now, he believes the men in the house to be crazy and said all the trouble started when he rented to them. And he says things like the house is haunted by broken mirrors, black cats, and the like. Yeah, he is clearly superstitious and afraid of those things, and... The camera pans back, and we eventually see that he's talking to Clark and Jimmy. And we learn this man is Mr. Botts, as out comes a small, little, funny little guy, Fredericks. He chases Mr. Botts away, kind of threatening him with trespassing laws. Now, I'm not the uh, most knowledgeable person about property laws, so to speak, but I don't know, maybe some of you out there can help me out if any of you have been landlords or rent or whatever. What do you rent exactly when you rent a place from somebody. You just rent the house, right? Or the unit. The landlord can't come into the unit without permission because that's the space you're renting from him. But I don't think there are any laws that say he can't be outside on the lawn. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not up on uh, those kinds of regulations. And I love how Jimmy calls this place crazy and then is and then he is scared by a black cat. And this is the point where Clark questions whether Jimmy is superstitious and uh, he denies it. But Jimmy says He's protected, and there's no clue what that means when he says it, so maybe Jimmy is a little bit superstitious. We've seen over the first half of this series that Jimmy will believe in any superstition or anything 
or anything really, you know. Jimmy's pretty gullible. It doesn't take much to convince him that a superstition is real, so. So now we meet Bill Green, and apparently the proper way to enter this building is by walking under the ladder set up in the foyer there. Clark has no problem. He goes under the ladder and quickly goes to where he uh, needs to go, and Jimmy is a little more apprehensive. You know, he's worried about things like the ladder falling on him, and Jimmy comes to, and he goes rather quickly and kind of brushes it off as no big deal once he's through. This is where we learn that this club is the Anti-Superstition Club, and their motto is, Down with Superstition. Yeah, that's gonna happen. I mean, there's no way to, a club run by four businessmen in Metropolis is going to stop something like superstition. People are gonna believe what they want to believe, no matter how silly or valid you think it is. Fredericks refers to Botts' unhappiness and calls the rules of superstition nonsense. And Clark wants to put an end to superstition. I'm not sure if a couple of articles in the Daily Planet are going to put an end to these things, but, you know, what kind of superstition is Clark talking about? Is he talking about silly little things like walking on the lines instead of the squares or black cats and things like that? You know, there are people who, you know, don't really believe in too much religion and think that's a superstition. So, you know, what exactly is Clark trying to get rid of here? Just a question that's not going to get answered, just something for you to chew on a little bit, if you are so inclined to do so. Now we meet another man, Charlie King. He's another member. He is a chemical magnet. Green owns a bunch of shoe stores, and I'm not sure what Fredericks does other than talk really fast. Green shows how he walked on the lines instead of the squares all the way to work today. He wrote that down in the club's register, a little diary there, showing all the ways that they are debunking superstition. And he has suffered no bad luck for doing that. My question is... How far did he have to walk to get to work? This seems like a mammoth effort just to debunch a couple of superstitions. Now, King writes in that he lit 300 cigarettes on 100 matches. Jimmy is quite impressed with the feed of 3 to 1, but and I am too. I just tried to do some quick Googling, and I couldn't find out what the penalty was on a cursory search for 300... What the penalty is for lighting 300 cigarettes with 100 matches, but Frederick says that King is not going to suffer for it, and, uh, you know what? What happened to all those cigarettes? Did King smoke them all? Because I'm going to tell you right now, if Charlie King smoked 300 cigarettes in a week, he is going to be suffering from it. As in, he's probably going to be suffering from lung cancer. And, you know, as uh, this scene goes on, I'm realizing that Fredericks' high-squealed and double-talk is kind of annoying. Bill Greenwood is going to demonstrate calling the meeting to order by breaking a mirror and then hopping 13 times. Jimmy is starting to agree with bots that they're crazy, and I'm sure the actor who plays Bill Green looks absolutely ridiculous hopping like this across an empty room. And if you listen closely to the audio track, we the listeners hear a creak in the floor, and Clark hears it too, and he looks up and he warns that warns Green that the support on the floor isn't very strong. And this just sends King and Fredericks and Green is kind of irritated. King accuses Clark of having X-ray vision, which, of course, we know he does. Frederick says they don't deserve to be there, and, well, Green is quick to point out that they are just upset about seeing them break all the super silly, superstitious rules. Well, Clark leaves, and he changes into Superman and runs down to the basement, and we find that, as Green is hopping, the floor is giving. And Superman finds another piece of wood and props it up against the support beam to hold the floor. Back upstairs, uh, apparently the floor did uh, give a little bit, under Green as he fell, and you can see King and Fredericks picking him up. Of course, now they're interested in knowing how he knew uh, that was going to happen, and, you know, Clark just called it a lucky guess, and Fredericks gets upset about hearing the word lucky. He does not like that word. Green suggests termites, while King pats Green's belly. You know, perhaps he ate too much for lunch, and, you know. But what's important here is that they brush it off. They can name any number of reasons why that would have happened, and none of them equal superstition. And really, for me, none of them equal superstition either. Clark thinks they've got their story, and they leave. And as they leave, Clark shows Jimmy the sawdust on his hand. Apparently, somebody wanted to hurt Green, you know, because obviously sawdust doesn't mean termites. Now, the next scene at the Planet Office, Lois chooses right now, in this episode, to throw out a broken mirror that she's been carrying around for months. And Jimmy reports into Lois that Clark went back to the house, and, well, you know what? Lois wants to go back to the house because she knows Clark is interested in it. If Clark is interested in the house, that's good enough for her. But if we're watching Jimmy... And I don't know how much attention you've paid to Jimmy's body language through the course of this show. J Jimmy clearly has something going on here as he's keeping his hands in his pockets. And when he turns away from Lois, we kind of see he has a lucky horseshoe. And he's kind of rubbing it for uh, good luck. Now Clark is at the police station with Inspector Henderson, and who reveals that 
the support beam was sawed recently, so someone was definitely trying to hurt Green, and this gets Henderson going on, getting on the case. He's going to go for not only the club register, but he's also going to go after Bots, because for some reason he thinks Bots is crazy too. But what they need to do now is they need to contact all of the members of the, the Anti-Superstition Club. So, the uh, first person they get on the phone is Charlie King, who... Now, here at King Chemical, we see somebody coming into a room filled with chemicals, striking a match against the doorframe and throwing it in a garbage bucket, starting a fire. At the same time, Henderson is on the phone with King. But take a look at the pants on the guy who is setting the match. They're brown. So, meanwhile, at the same time, Henderson is on the phone with King, who brushes off any problem, you know. Like I said, also take note that it took a minute for Henderson to get King on the phone. Where was he at this time? King does look up when, when he hears the explosion, but he blows it off and talks to Henderson some more. Clark will not blow it off, and oh, there goes Superman. And I love this shot here. Superman arrives at the room with the fire and grabs a steam pipe off the wall and uses the steam to put the fire out. What a great shot here. Superman managed to save King Chemical without any further damage happening to it. So that's good. Perry and Clark are clear that what's going on has nothing to do with superstition, as it takes human hands to set a fire into saw wood. Very logical from Clark. At the moment, Perry is looking for Lois and Jimmy, who we find are at the house of the Anti-Superstition Club. Uh, the house obviously is not staffed full-time, and they don't lock the place when they leave, apparently, because it seems though just about anybody can walk in. Lois is looking for proof of some kind of wrongdoing, like a saw, but she doesn't really know exactly what she's looking for, and she encounters the Black Cat. And I'm going to be honest... That black cat is pretty nasty. You know, to mention before that it scratches Fredericks all the time, and well, now it got Lois as well. Either someone's not feeding it well enough, or this cat just has an attitude problem. Could be a little bit of both. So, Lois and Jimmy go down to the basement, and they hear someone walking around, and they hide, and Jimmy grabs a plank, and he's about to hit Clark with it until he realizes who it was. After Clark walks in, you know, Clark mentions that he just got there, and oh, they're locked in the basement room, and eventually the cellar door gets locked. Clark just stands there looking at the door. And obviously, we know he's looking through it, and he says he is surprised at who he sees. I am pretty sure this is the moment where Clark knows who is behind it all. But obviously, he can't do anything about that right now because he's locked in here with Lois and Jimmy. That will curtail any Superman activities until he can shake himself loose of the company. They're looking for a way out. Jimmy falls down off a crate or something, and the horseshoe falls out of his pocket, and, you know... Lois is irate about Jimmy carrying good luck charms, but Clark is just amused as he points out that Jimmy has a rabbit's foot and a four-leaf clover in his other pocket. Jimmy still says he doesn't believe in superstition, but I'm not buying it because if he didn't believe in superstition, why exactly is he carrying around these items? So, Clark says Superman will turn the horseshoe into a magnet to get them out, but Lois apparently prefers the more direct approach of Superman knocking a hole in the wall. However, he can't do that dressed as Clark, so... He rubs up the horseshoe and magnetizes it, and he runs it along the door to unlock the bolt. And then he kind of makes like the door was unlocked all the time, but they're fooled. Even though they shouldn't be, Clark just told them exactly what, they were going, what he was going to do. Clark continues to give Jimmy grief over his, over his horseshoe, and then we hear the cat's meow. And right here, I mentioned this in last week's episode, this is the debut of my favorite x-ray vision effect of this show. They zoom in on George Reeves' eyes, and there's almost like a binocular wipe, which emerges from his eyes to show what he's seeing inside. And around the binocular effect, you see the, the remainder of his face. It's pretty cool. I mentioned it's my favorite X-ray vision effect in this show, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to use this all the way to the end of the series. What Clark sees is somebody painting poison on the cat's claws. And as they leave, Clark is very matter-of-fact about a murder being planned. Pay attention to that image that Clark saw. Never once did they show his face. But judging by the way he acted when he looked through the door in the basement room, Clark knows who the perpetrator is at this point. Obviously, we're meant to believe that Bots is doing all this, but as Lois, Cl Clark, and Jimmy emerge from the house, Henderson mentions that they have him cornered at another place that he owns across town. So, Clark gets away and uh, flies toward there as Superman. Meanwhile, a detective and two uniformed cops are trying to arrest Mr. Bots, and this guy is very aggressive. He's going to break the door down, and when Bots kind of threatens him and with trespassing... That's when they fire the tear gas, and, you know, Bots is kind of defiant here. He, uh, he's pissed. He tells the police that he owns lots of houses, and they can't come in any of them, and he's never renting another house as long as he lives, because it's nothing but trouble. You know, some people collect cats. He collects houses, apparently. So, while he's choking on tear gas, Superman flies down into the open window. I'm not sure 
how this gas fills up the room with the window wide open, but that's okay. We're going to take that for what it is. And there is a nice shot of Superman inhaling the gas and then exhaling it outside to the surprise of the police. I know I mentioned how good that the gas inhalation effect looked in semi-private eye a few weeks ago, but I'm going to say it looks even better here. So after saving Mr. Botts, he tells the, the old landlord that the man responsible is going to be confessing soon. Yay! So Clark gets back to the meeting. The club members are quite put out, and Green actually suggests committing Botts to an institution. So there is no length these guys will go to get rid of Botts and his beliefs. The man who hops across a room to start a meeting is talking about sending someone to the loony bin. Figure that one out. So as he gets there, Clark drops the bomb that one of them is behind everything, and Jimmy helpfully points out that nothing has happened to Fredericks yet. So Clark puts catnip in the guilty man's pocket. I'm not sure why the catnip is necessary, but it is, apparently. Of course, King, thinking there is poison on the cloth, jumps up and is scared of the cat because he thinks she can kill him. And basically, King admits to an insurance scam that his plant was failing, and had Superman not saved the plant, he would have made a million dollars off the insurance claim. So, King asks Clark how he knew. Obviously, we know that he saw him through the door in the basement. But Clark retorts that maybe he's lucky, or maybe he's Superman. None of us here believe in superstition, so maybe Clark is Superman. And then, King makes a retort that if Clark's going to say things like that, he should knock on wood. I thought this guy was against any and all superstition. But, apparently he's not. He's okay with knocking on wood. So, Clark does just that. He knocks on the wood as the episode ends. Like I said, this is not a bad episode. The concept of the club is absolutely silly and ridiculous. But I still had a good time watching it. And I hope you had a good time watching it. And for right now, I am going to take a quick break, play another promo, and then I'm going to come back with Superman Week. Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books. We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So... Tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to head right into Superman Week. Original broadcast date was May 14th, 1955. Writer was Peggy Chandler, and director was Harry Gerstad. Guest cast includes Herb Bygren as Cy Horton, Paul Burke as Matthew Tipps, Tamar Cooper as the female artist, Jack George as Vandeglass, and Buddy Mason as the bank guard. And now for our synopsis, brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com. Superman is very busy in both his identities of the Man of Steel and Daily Planet reporter Clark Kent. It's Superman Week in Metropolis. Telegrams are coming in from all over the world, thanking the caped hero for his various good deeds. He has even posed for a female artist's portrait. All right, Superman. That does it. Think you'll make a good poster for Superman Week? I didn't know a portrait could be so flattering. You're twice that handsome. Don't be so modest. Well, it's not easy to be modest with all the things that have been going on around here this week. I think Superman Week's a wonderful idea. Metropolis should celebrate one every year. Well, now, that's an idea I'll thank you to keep to yourself. (laughs) All right. But I just want to tell you that it's really been an honor having you sit for me. And I'm sure Mr. Vandeglass, the famous sculptor, will be just as thrilled as I am. Well, I'm the one that's honored, after all. Mr. Vanderglass has made statues of kings and presidents. I hear he's sculpting a bust from photographs of you. Yes, I have a date with him later. He wants to get another look at my face and fill in the final details. Oh, oh by the way, when you see Mr. Kent, will you thank him for the use of his apartment? Well, I think you can consider him thanked. And thank you for the very fine portrait. You're welcome, Superman. Goodbye. Goodbye, miss. I could only fly like Superman instead of taking those hot subways. Clark, meanwhile, has his hands full helping Lois with letters and other preparations for the celebration's testimonial dinner. Plus, Editor Perry White wants him to investigate what's going on in the, with underworld figure Cy Horton. Nowhere. You're in a big hurry to be going nowhere. Who's in a hurry? Jimmy Olsen, you've got something up your sleeve. No, I haven't. Look. <laughs> 
if you see Clark Kent, tell him I could use an octopus. <laughs> Hello? Yes, Your Highness, that's right. He prevented your palace from crumbling in the earthquake. We'd be terribly grateful if you would. Thank you. Goodbye. Well, where have you been? Where have I been? I've been doing my bit for Superman Week. I may be suffering under a delusion, but I thought you worked for the Daily Planet. And there's a fellow named Perry White around here, editor-in-chief, who thinks so, too. That's very funny. Great Caesar's ghost. It's about time you showed up. Did you get my memo? No, sir. Oh, here it is. See what you can dig up on Cy, Cy Horton, huh? According to the underworld grapevine, he's up to some big caper. Find out what? Staying at 5867 Westlake. And he's a tough customer, so be careful. Can Clark get on it in the morning? I need some help with these Superman stories. Can Jimmy do that? Oh, he just took off. Destination a big secret. All right, Ken. Cy Horton can wait. But get with it the first thing in the morning. Yes, sir. I'm the only editor who ever paid anyone to keep getting into trouble. Say, Jimmy didn't see this, did he? Well, I don't know. He might have. Why? Well, he'd be no match for Cy Horton. Oh, Clark, Jimmy's not that silly. You're just trying to get out of helping me. Here, get busy. All right. We now go to 5867 Westlake Street, where Cy Horton is hiding with his partner Matthew Tips. The pair of gangsters is lying low until they can plan their next move. Cup reporter Jimmy Olsen, having seen Perry's memo to Clark about Horton, has decided to get the scoop on the criminal. He does so disguised as a telephone repairman. Hi. The, uh, the telephone company sent me. What for? Well, there's, uh, something the matter with your telephone. We got a complaint from a party trying to call you. You got the wrong place, kid. Our phone's okay. Well, um, there's trouble on the lines. Sometimes the calls come through and sometimes they don't. Can I check your phone? Okay, hurry it up. When did the phone company start robbing a cradle? Huh? You're not old enough to vote. I may be young, but I can sure fix telephones. It's a young man's business, you know. While you're here, you can untangle that cord. Excuse me. Who sent you? I told you, the telephone company. The way I remember it, they always take the cord off at the wall. Oh, that's the old method. This is the new one I learned in the efficiency course at school. It works swell. Watch. Okay, who are you? I told you. It won't work, kid. James B. Olson, reporter on the Daily Planet. What are you snooping around for? man asked you a question. Shut up, I'll handle this. Here. I'm not thirsty. Drink it. No, thank you. Thank you. What'd you give him, boss, a Mickey? No. Truth drug. Stuff we gave that private eye last week. All right, Olsen. Can I ask you some questions? Now listen carefully. Who's on to us? Can't. Can't who? Clark Can't. Clark Can't. He's a friend of Superman's. You know Superman, don't you? Who is he? I don't know. It's a secret. You know a lot about Superman. What's his weakness? Kryptonite. What's that? A rare element found only on planet Krypton. Superman's 
birthplace. It's the only thing that can harm him. If he gets within five feet of it, it takes away all his powers. It can destroy him. What does this stuff look like? It glows in the dark. Tell us, where can we get some? The only known piece is in Metropolis Bay, in a lead pipe. Superman threw it there. Lead protects him from the stuff. What'd you say it was again? Kryptonite. 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 What did I say? What did I say? One word, kryptonite. Thanks, kid. Thanks a lot. Kryptonite? But, uh, what is it? It won't work. You told us all about it. I was making it up. It was a lie. Not with that slug of truth drug it wasn't. Now go on, beat it. Get out of here. The party's over. Get your stuff and blow. Come on, get going. Oh, one more thing. You blab about us to Kent and we'll tell every mob in town about kryptonite. We'll let them all know how they can get rid of Superman. Go on, beat it. As Perry Clark and Lois prepare the guest list for the Superman Week dinner, Jimmy enters Kent's office. The Kent have done something awful. Oh, it can't be as bad as all that. It's worse. I don't know how to tell you. Cy Horton. Cy Horton. I went to see him, and uh, he knows. He knows about. Well, what does he know? About kryptonite and its effect on Superman. You told him about kryptonite? The only substance that can destroy Superman? Why, Jim? Oh, please, Mr. Ken, I'm more hazy. Now, look, is this some stunt you thought of for Superman Week? It's no stunt. I thought I could get a scoop if I got some information on Horton, so I, I went to see him disguised as a telephone repairman. But he gave me some truth drug and made me drink it, and I, I told him. You know what this can mean, don't you? Sure I do. If they ever get a hold of that stuff, they can kill Superman. What are we going to do, Mr. Kent? I don't know, Jimmy. This could be serious. I'll have to get in touch with Superman. He'll be able to think of something, won't he? I hope so, Jimmy. Gee, is there, is there anything I can do? I'll do anything. Well, don't worry, Jimmy. Meet me over at my place tonight, will you? Jimmy has arrived at Clark's place to find the mild-mannered reporter with the same lead pipe containing the kryptonite. Hello, Jimmy. Come in. I know I'm early, Mr. Kent, but I couldn't wait. Did you get in touch with Superman? Yes, Jimmy, I did. What did he say? I'll show you. Recognize this? Yeah. Well, that's the lead pipe Superman threw into the bay with the kryptonite inside of it. That's right. Fortunately, Superman can handle kryptonite when it's encased in lead. But what if it ever gets outside the pipe? Why did Superman fish it out of the bay and give it to you? Well, Jimmy, Superman has a plan. In fact, he's setting a trap. If you set a trap, you've got to have bait. He has, Jimmy. This. You get it, will you? Okay, let's have it. I don't know what you're talking about. The kryptonite, where are you talking? Where is it? Kryptonite? What kryptonite? All right, that's enough of the cute bit. You two, mister, get him up. Tailing your young friend here, but I didn't think it'd pay off so soon. <laughs> this is a lead pipe cinch. Come on, let's go. No, wait. Aren't you gonna go after him? You got that hacksaw blade I told you to bring? Right here, boss. All right, I'll hold it, you saw it. Hurry it up. <laughs> Once we get this kryptonite within five feet of Superman, he's a dead pigeon. <laughs> no, Jimmy, I'm not. Golly, what'll Superman do now? I don't know, Jimmy. I don't know. As Superman flies through the point with Mr. Vanderglass, Cy and Matthew have knocked out the famous sculptor. Horton is disguising himself as Vanderglass, while Matthew places the kryptonite in the bus that our hero must see. 
A line is drawn on the floor. Once Superman crosses it, he will be exposed to the kryptonite's deadly radiation. Superman has entered Van de Glass's studio. Ah, my friend, you're indeed prompt. I am Van de Glass, a great admirer of yours. You're the one to be admired, Mr. Van de Glass. Well, Mr. Superman, how do you like yourself? It's a fine piece of work, sir. Thank you. Come a little closer so you can see it better. No, I appreciate works of art better from a distance. <laughs> Just the humor an old man. Uh, take a closer look, huh? I am particularly proud of the detail here in the show. How do you feel now, Superman? Wait a minute. You're not Van de Glass, you're Cy. Cy Horton. That's right, Buster. It's too late, Superman. I feel... I feel... Yeah? Weak. Dizzier. That's because you got a hole in your head. Right here, filled with kryptonite. Kryptonite? You got any last requests to make, you better make them in a hurry. What do we do now, boss? You remember that nice, fat payroll we read about in the paper? You mean the one they're keeping on the west side? Yeah, that's right. Well, our friend Superman here is supposed to be guarding it. There's a half a million bucks in that vault, if we can get to it. With Superman out of the way, we can get to it, all right. And we're gonna use that bankroll to buy us the toughest mob that Metropolis has ever seen. Come on. Knockout drops have been placed in the guard's coffee. As Cyan Matthew unlocked the door leading to the payroll, Superman smashes through the wall. The bank guard had pretended to be asleep thanks to a warning from Superman. Bullets from Cy's gun bounce off Superman's chest, and both Cy and Matthew have had their heads placed between the vault entrance bars. Well, what about the kryptonite? I thought that I stuff... know what you thought. You thought it'd destroy me. How that story ever got started, I don't know. As a matter of fact, I intend to use this as a good luck piece. But you thought that it'd keep me helpless, so you swallowed the bait and hung yourself. Actually, the dangerous alien element is still at the bottom of the Metropolis Bay. Our hero knew that Jimmy was followed by Cy, created a decoy made of metal covered with glowing phosphorus. For now, the Man of Steel is safe from its deadly radiation, and Cy Horton will get life in prison. Superman may have put Cy Horton and Matthew Tips behind bars, but the adventure of Superman Week is about to continue for him. Well, did you get everything set for the television broadcast? We're going to keep it simple. Just an interview with Superman. Who's going to interview him? Clark Kent. Only he doesn't know it yet. And just what doesn't he know it yet? In 45 minutes, you're scheduled to interview Superman, and I can't wait to see you wiggle out of this one. That should be very interesting, Mr. Kent interviewing Superman. And just what's so interesting about it? Well, I don't know. It's just interesting. Well, don't be late. Goodbye. Hmm. Lois and Jimmy are watching the television in Clark's apartment. They hear Clark's voice interviewing Superman. What they don't know is that a tape recorder is asking the questions of the Cape Wonder. Plus, Mr. Van der Glass's sculpture of the man of tomorrow is dressed as Kent. Now we'll find out once and for all about Clark Kent and Superman. Hello, citizens of Metropolis. I'm Clark Kent of the Daily Planet. They've asked me to interview Superman. I thought he should have the stage to himself, so that's why we set things up this way. So here he is, Superman. Thank you, Mr. Kent. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, tell me, Superman, what do you think of Superman Week? I'm proud to have a part in the wonderful and worthwhile things that have been done this week. The camp for boys, the home for underprivileged children, the home for the aged, and the foundation of the blind. And I'm very grateful to all those who work so hard to raise the funds. And I'm proud, proud indeed, to have them named after me. I know you're very busy, Superman, so I'm not going to keep you. There's a car waiting at the door to carry you in the parade, which is being held in your honor. Thank you again, and goodbye. And now, our cameras take you to Metropolis Boulevard, where the monster Superman parade is shaping up. I really thought we had him this time. Thanks, pal. Like I mentioned in the previous segment regarding the Lucky Cat, the TV station that I used to watch The Adventures of Superman on usually ran the show in an hour block, so two episodes a pop. This episode, along with, with the Lucky Cat, was an episode that I recorded off of TV sometime in the late 80s, I want to say. Maybe 1990 or 1991, I'm not totally sure. But I do know I saw this episode after the 
Saturday Night Live 50th anniversary special in 1988 because I remember seeing this woman with the painting in the clips from that show before actually seeing it in the episode itself. So, this episode starts with George Reeves in his favorite Superman pose, hands on his hips, while a painter paints a portrait of him. Superman, Superman is showing his humility here by asking the painter to keep her desire for an annual Superman week to, to herself. He is clearly uncomfortable with all the attention that he's getting. And, you know, this is something we see from Superman quite a bit over the years. That, yes, the Man of Steel is a public figure and all that, but he's never quite comfortable with that reality. It's true here. It's true in the Christopher Reeve version. Dean Cain Superman was like this. Saw a little bit of it from Henry Cavill Superman, and we saw it. A little bit with Tyler Hecklin's Superman and when he appeared on Supergirl. So, you've even seen it in the comics. One of Superman always kind of failed to see himself for the inspiration to people that he really is. Superman, as Perry White said to Clark in Superman the movie, he's got bags of humility. In addition to getting his painting made, uh, we learned that he's going to sit later for a Mr. Vanderglass to make a bust of it. Lowe's, meanwhile, is collecting testimonials for Superman Week, and apparently he saved the Rogers' herd of elephants, which is nice. And one thing I'm wondering here is. Why exactly uh, Lois is working in Clark's office? She does have an office of her own, but I don't quite understand uh, why he is. Jimmy has read something on Clark's desk, and he takes off, but before he does, he puts the note back on the desk. And this is where we learn that Cy Horton is free, and there is some concern from about Jimmy, who put the telegram on his desk as he left. Uh, Perry came in, had come in earlier and wants Clark to deal with Cy Horton, but he kind of puts that on hold while they're dealing with all the Superman Week stuff. But apparently G Clark is worried about Jimmy, and we're going to learn that Clark has good reason to be because Jimmy's heading over to Sai's place. And here we see Herb Vigrant again. Uh, we see him quite a bit. We saw him last, as I recall, in Jimmy Olsen, boy editor, playing the role of Lex Lemming. We also saw him play the role of Mortimer Murray in No Holds Barred. So this time he's playing solitaire, and there's that comedic music we heard in Time Machine. Boop, boop, boop. Boop, 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 boop. You know, that oboe and clarinet that Bob mentioned last week. So here comes Jimmy with a fake mustache checking on the telephone. You know, more of that great physical comedy that started in season two when he broke into Mr. Wayne's office in the big squeeze to be uh, to try to sell a vacuum to get some information. So Jimmy pretends to be a phone repairman. And there is some great physical comedy here where Jimmy is kind of just tapping on the phone, trying to do something. And he tries to untangle the cord and kind of pulls it. And has the phone swing like a top. And, you know, Sai is watching this and he is not exactly buying it. He knows he spots Jimmy's youth and well, eventually he just kind of rips the mustache off and figures out something is up. If you watch Jimmy bang on the phone with the back end of a screwdriver and unravel the cord by just kind of separating it. Like you would pull a piece of braided hair apart. Just judging from those two things makes you realize that, you know, this guy is not working for the phone company. At least not any phone company that you want to get phone service from. Sai rips off his mustache, throws him on the couch, and this is where they find out he's Jimmy Olsen. And the first thing they do is hit him up with some truth drug. And some water, I guess. <laughs> I like how Jimmy at first refuses to drink, says no thank you, and then as the gun comes out, he kind of changes it straight to thank you. So, at least he's polite about it. So, Jimmy does some shaking, and he is under the influence of truth drug. They don't actually say it's sodium pentadol, but it's truth drug. That's as far as we need to go for the purposes of this episode. Nope. Horton asks Jimmy about Superman's weakness. Remember back in the defeat of Superman when Jimmy swore he'd never tell anyone about Kryptonite? Well, he's telling someone. So Jimmy tells Sai about the Kryptonite and that Superman threw it into the bay during the aforementioned defeat of Superman episode. So that makes this episode kind of a quasi-sequel to that one. As this is one of the few episodes that calls back to a previous one. It happens twice in the series and ironically both deal with Kryptonite. Somewhere down the line, I'll get to the Deadly Rock, which calls back to Panic in the Sky, but that's a story for, for another episode. So Lois and Clark are still working on Superman Week stuff when Jimmy comes in and asks to talk to Clark about something, and, you know, then Jimmy kind of spills his guts about what happened. He thought he'd get the scoop on Horton, you know, Jimmy's heart is in the right place, but, you know, like I said about Jimmy, all heart, no head, and he screwed up big time here. Now Clark is at home as Jimmy shows up early because what he's done has been eating him up inside pretty well. You know, what it should be. Jimmy is supposed to be Superman's pal, and you know what? He could have just as easily signed the Man of Steel's death warrant with the information he gave out. Although I will say this, Jimmy just said, in the bay. 
How big is the bay? I mean, a bay kind of sounds pretty big. You know how hard it must be to find a lead pipe under the water? Ugh, impossible. But that's neither here nor there. This episode makes it think like anybody can just kind of walk to the bottom of the bay and get the kryptonite. But apparently Clark has the pipe, and he tells him that Superman is setting a trap. Cy Horton and Matthew get the pipe, and for some reason they cut it outside of Clark's apartment. You would think they'd have gone to wherever it is they're going and cut the pipe there, but, you know. These guys aren't winning any Criminal of the Year awards. And, you know, there's something funny that I mentioned uh, when we get back to the Daily Planet office the next day. Jimmy makes a comment about everybody kind of rushing around. And Clark points out that all because of Superman Week, which he was apparently against. Apparently, Clark didn't want to honor Superman for the work that he's been doing. Again, that kind of speaks to the Man of Steel's humility, being that Clark is Superman. He feels kind of uncomfortable with the attention being heaped upon him. So Cy and his henchman Matthew march right into Vanderglass's studio and they knock him clear out and leave him behind the couch. They put the kryptonite into the back of the sculpture's head and they're going to move ahead with their plan here. And after Matthew was done with the kryptonite, here comes Cy Horton dressed as Vanderglass. He takes a piece of chalk or something and he draws kind of a five-foot line away from the bust to indicate where Superman must cross. Once he's within that line, Superman will be out of their hair forever, meaning D-E-A-D dead. And they can do this because the Daily Planet has done a great job of making this possible, letting people know where Superman is going to be and when. So eventually, Superman comes in and he stands far away from the sculpture for some reason. You know, and this is where I'm guessing he realizes that Vandeglass is not actually Vandeglass, although he doesn't mention it until later. So like I said, he knows what's going on. and He real he doesn't actually admit that he's Cy Horton after he's convinced to walk forward and cross the kryptonite line and collapse. That's when he makes the connection that the guy is Cy Horton, you know, when he's very weak and unable to do anything about it. So, obviously, Cy shows Superman the kryptonite, and down goes the Man of Steel. And with Superman down, they're going to go after a payroll truck. Well, because why not? So, they knock out a guard to get the keys, but just as Cy Horton opens the vault, Superman comes in, and when Superman arrives, the guard stands up. Which means he was warned ahead of time, he didn't drink the coffee. But the knockout drops at him. Matthew gives up immediately, but Cy doesn't. He takes some shots at Superman, who crushes the gun in a great shot. And I really like the way Superman deals with the two criminals here. Sticking their heads in the bars and then bending them back so they can't get out. It's kind of funny. Now in Clark's office, Lois reveals Clark is going to interview Superman and Jimmy calls it interesting. And, well, we know why Jimmy thinks it's interesting because he and Lois have been chasing his secret identity for most of the first half of the season. And this is when Clark reveals Superman's plan to Jimmy. Kryptonite wasn't real, and the real kryptonite was still at the bottom of the Metropolis Bay. It's not an elaborate scheme, but you know what? It works to beat the bad guys and get them in jail. Now, apparently, Clark is the only one to have a television set, or he has a high-end unit, because Jimmy asks for the key to Clark's apartment, so he and Lois can watch it at Clark's place. When they get there, you can see why, because that's a pretty nice furniture TV set with the small screen, obviously, covered by the two doors. It's a very nice-looking set, and uh, apparently they like it, so... They either don't have TVs at home, or Clark has a very good model. One of the two. So the interview is on, and TV, and Clark is off stage right. As someone pans over, we don't actually know who's in the studio, if anybody, with Superman, but they show that... I don't know how the camera is panning if nobody is there, but... You would think that if somebody else was in the room with Superman, they'd know there's a bust in the little studio there, but nobody says anything, so I guess nobody knows. I guess nobody's there. So how is the camera moving? No answer, huh? Well, really, Clark only asks one or two questions. They give the entire stage to Superman. Nice guy. So after a couple of questions, we reveal that the bust is used to simulate Clark Kent in the studio, and Superman sat on the stage. Apparently, the interview was set up by Lois to figure out if Clark was Superman, but oh, no dice. And now we get some nice shots of Superman on TV waving to the crowd. Clark's TV is black and white, and Superman's costume looks close to the black on the images with very little contrast between the blue and the red. That's probably what this version of the suit probably looked like when it was broadcast in black and white in the 50s. Like we mentioned last week, Superman wasn't shown in color until 1965. So, again, another you know decent episode. Not really a lot to say about it. It's fairly a straightforward episode. They're honoring Superman. Criminal learns about kryptonite, wants kryptonite, Superman sets the trap. Very basic episode. The story is very simple. You know, you can tell that the show is getting more kid-friendly now just by the simplicity of the plots. Next time, we're going to get a little more interesting as, as Perry White is haunted by Great Caesar's ghost and Superman will face the test of a warrior.
If you have any thoughts on this episode or any other episode I've done, you can send me some feedback at manofscreen at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook. by I have a Facebook group where a bunch of us talk about Superman and these shows, and you can find that by putting Man of Screen Podcast into your search feed. And I'd also highly encourage you to leave me reviews on both iTunes and Stitcher as reviews and those will help me with the search engines and help other people find the show. If you're interested in any other podcasting that I do, I am also a regular on the Fear of the Walking Dead cast on the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. As of this recording, we are still covering the seventh season of The Walking Dead. So, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all the opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show or for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network and can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.automatic.com and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com Thanks for listening.